Hello, and welcome to the Art of Selling Online Courses. We're here to share winning strategies and secret hacks from top performers in the online course industry. My name's John Ainsworth, and today's guest is Tan Pham. Now, Tan is the founder of Asian Efficiency. They're a productivity training company, which has helped over 15,000 clients become more productive at work and in life. His blog attracts over 1.5 million readers a year, their podcast, The Productivity Show, is the number one productivity podcast with over 10 million downloads. And he's been featured in Forbes, Fast Company, and Inc. Magazine as a thought leader. So this is going to be a really fun interview today. Before we start learning from Tan, I want to mention our sponsor. And today's sponsor is my company, Data Driven Marketing. And what we do is we help online course creators to increase their revenue 20 to 100% in eight weeks. And what we do is we help you convert more visitors to leads, leads into sales, and increase the revenue per sale. So go to datadrivenmarketing.co slash calculator to find out how much more you could be making from your courses with the Ideal Funnel. So Tan, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, John, for having me. And uh, I'm excited to start diving into um, kind of my story of building Asian efficiency and helping people, fellow course creators, grow their businesses. Uh, it's a topic I'm very passionate about just because, one, I'm a course creator myself. I've been doing this for over 10 years now. Uh, but also, two, I know there's a hungry audience for just learning from others who are maybe a little bit further ahead and hopefully... Uh, they can learn from some of my mistakes and some of the things that I did well and kind of repeat that success. Uh, and I'm a big believer of learning from other people who are a little bit further ahead of you uh, because I think that's like the ultimate shortcut, especially if you're doing something very similar. So happy to share uh, all good stuff today. Awesome. Thanks, Meryl. We appreciate it. So for anybody who's not familiar with Asian efficiency, can you give everyone a little bit of background of what you are helping people with? Yeah. So in 2011, I started a blog called Asian Efficiency, and it was just a passion project of mine to kind of share uh, all the things I was learning about leadership, uh, efficiency, time management, and, and productivity. And it was originally just written for friends and family, and I committed to just writing something every single week. And about a year later, uh, major news outlets started to pick up my articles and sharing them. And I started to get a lot of people reading my, my stuff. And uh, I started getting hundreds of emails from people saying, hey, Tan, I would love to hire you as a coach or as a consultant, or do you have any courses or workshops on productivity? And I had to say, no, I actually don't have anything. <laughs> this is just <laughs> all for free. And so after getting more emails, I, I said to myself, you know what? I should turn this into a business. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to, you know, a decade later now, I still have this business today where I'm helping people become more productive at work and in life. And we have a holistic approach to productivity. And so one of the things we're known for is the T framework, which stands for time, energy, and attention. So I, I think of them as like the three pillars of productivity. If you maximize your time, if you maximize your energy, and you maximize your attention, you are going to be a productive person. And uh, our business model has been the same. Now it has evolved a little bit over time, but we always started off with courses. And over time, we added subscriptions. And, and on top of that, we started building other marketing channels on top of that, such as like the podcasts um, and doing JVs or joint ventures with other people. And so things have evolved over time, but our bread and butter is still what some people call info products or online courses. Sweet. That's awesome, man. So one of the things that I think people do really well learning from you is about getting more repeat sales. And I know that this is something that you guys do really well. So what do you do that's 
different there? So I think there's a lot of uh, material online and a lot of courses out there that talk about, hey, you need to get customers, right? Like get the first customer, whatever you have to spend, get the one customer to buy from you. And there's a lot of value in that. And if you're just starting out, I think that's really important. But I also know a lot of people who probably watch and listen to this, they already have an existing business and they're looking for ways to grow faster. And one of the things I've realized is and start, instead of starting something new, like creating a new product or creating a new marketing campaign or trying different angles, uh, once you have a set customer base, the easiest thing you can do to grow revenue is to sell to your existing customers. And so if you already have a suite of products, uh, instead of creating a new product, if you get better at cross-selling, upselling, uh, getting people to go through trials, that's oftentimes a faster way to grow your revenue and increase your profits than trying a new marketing funnel or a new angle or a new product and so on. And so one of the things I really focused on once we had like three, four products and we had a few thousand customers is to come up with different ways of cross-selling and upselling. Uh, I know there's a lot of talk about like, you know, your average cart value, right? So if someone makes a purchase from you uh, for let's say $20, how can you bump that up by the end of the checkout process to, I don't know, 30, 40, $50 or hundred dollars or even more. Right. And so the first thing you want to do is anytime you sell something is to have like an order bump in place. Right. So for those who don't know what that is, oftentimes on the checkout form, there'll be like a checkbox that says, Hey, uh, would you like to add this to your order? And you just have to press a checkbox to kind of add it in. So it's a really easy one uh, to add in. Uh, the other thing is upsells, right? So, if we want to get really technical, there's like one-time offers like OTOs, right? So it's kind of like um, the idea that you can only get this particular product and price point during the checkout process. And so if you list your products on your website with their prices, I know a lot of times people kind of hide their prices. This is something we actually don't do. It's like, you can see all of our prices. So people become price aware of, of all the stuff, especially if you have a lot of competitors, that's always very important in my opinion. So people can kind of shop around for pricing if that's what they're sensitive to. And so when people come to the upsell page, you can make a legitimate offer to say, hey, this is actually $100 off, um, but it's only available on this particular page, right? Be able to see when you do stuff like that, that more and more people will take you up on it. And that's part of the upsell process, but you can apply that same idea to your backend as well. And so when it comes to more repeat sales, your backend is the most important. And if you start Googling about how to build a backend or having more repeat sales, there's actually not a lot of great information out there. So I'm hoping we can kind of start sharing some of that stuff here. So to kind of put some numbers in perspective, about 35 or 38% of our customers are repeat buyers within the first 90 days. So in other words, if someone makes a purchase on January 1st, by the end of March, about a little bit more than a third has purchased a second product from us. And I found that to be kind of like a great benchmark. And if you can strive for that number, or you can even look it up right down your system, if you're you know, willing to crunch some Excel numbers, uh, you'll, you'll see what your baseline is. What's really most important is just improving your own baseline. So for you, if it's maybe 10%, you know, bumping that up to 15 or 20% would be a huge influx of cash and profits without that much effort. Right. Yeah. Happy to start diving deeper into it, but that's kind of uh, the thing I want to share. It's just really focus on your backend and repeat sales. 
Nice. Okay. So when you say that 35 to 38%, is that including people who buy during the checkout process or who buy something extra during the checkout process or only including people who buy something again after that? Uh, yeah. So it would be the latter. So only including people who buy something after the first like buying experience, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so the way, for example, we do that is uh, in our CRM, which is Entreport in our case, uh, we have like custom fields with first purchase date, second purchase date, third purchase date. And we have like 20 products. So we have like, you know, 15, 20 purchase date fields <laughs> at this point. And so anytime someone makes a purchase, uh, by the end of the checkout process, we update a particular custom field, right? So we know if someone made a first purchase, what the date that, what the date was for that. If they make a second purchase, uh, we update that custom field. So every now and then we pull out these numbers and we can kind of see you know, how we can accelerate that, that gap between the first purchase date and the second purchase date. So for a while, I was heavily focused on like, how do we close that gap? Because in the beginning, we don't have a lot of products. It might be like six months or eight months because you just, you can only create so many products in a year, right? But once you start building a suite of products, now you can start looking at, okay, how can I close that gap from six months between the first and second purchase date to let's say 90 days, right? And what do we need to do to make that happen? And if you answer that question, you'll start to come up with a lot of creative ideas of what you can do. So you can have automated email campaigns, right? Um, you could have retargeting campaigns. You could have something as simple as what we started off doing was we had a marketing calendar and every single month, so every 30 days, we would have a manual campaign that we would build to promote to our existing audience. So in January, we had a promotion in February. And so every month we would just create something new to, ex to sell to existing customers. If you do that for a while, what's good about that is you start to have a lot of marketing assets that you can reuse and repurpose, right? So if someone, if you had a marketing campaign in January for a particular offer and you do that offer again in June, one, there are a lot of people between January and June who opted into your email list, right? who had not seen that email copy before or that particular sales page. So you can easily repurpose that for that particular cohort or for the whole audience uh, again as well. And what surprises me the most is oftentimes you can use the exact same sales page and exact same email copy twice in a year. And people would oftentimes not even notice the difference. And so uh, it creates a lot of efficiency, right? When you can repurpose a lot of stuff. And so turns out you only have to make like, you know, three to four different campaigns in a year and kind of recycle them and maybe update them a little bit or tweak the offer a little bit um, to kind of see what works best, right? So if we did something in January and we would do it again in June, we might make some minor tweaks. We might add some extra bonuses or remove some bonuses, right? We might change the checkout process where we change the order bump or the different upsells and so on, because now you can actually compare it to a previous campaign you've done and kind of see how it performed and what we need to tweak to make it better, right? There's a lot of different benchmarks out there, but what I always try to focus on is what are my own benchmarks? Like how many people took the upsell? How many people took the order bump? And just focus on my numbers and just improving that rather than saying, hey, I need to have a 20% order bump conversion or like, you know, 10% upsell conversion. It's just really about, this is your business and your numbers and proving your numbers is at the end of the day, the most important. So there's a lot of fascinating stuff in there. There's a couple of bits I want to just dig into a little more. One of the places that people get really stuck, and I see this a lot, is with reusing the same promotion. 
because we recommend doing that. We say to people to do two email promotions a month and to just cycle back through. Once you've got four months worth or six months worth, you can just start again. And the reason we say that is there's a number of steps to it. One, there's a whole bunch of new people on your list. They never even saw that promotion before. The people who were on your list, most of them didn't open those emails. The ones who did open the emails, most of them didn't read all of it. The ones who did read it, most of them don't remember it. And the ones who did open it and read it and remember it, if they didn't buy, well, then it's probably a good idea for them to see it again. And then they've got a chance to, you know, they, they, they might get the message might resonate better with them this time. But people get really stuck with it. They're like, oh, no, I feel like I have to make a new product. I have to send a new promotion. Otherwise, it's, you know, I feel embarrassed about in front of everybody. So what would you say to all of those guys in terms of getting past that discomfort, that, that uh, issue in their mind? Yeah, I think it's a legitimate concern, uh, one that I had myself as well. And I think if I relay it to a real world example, I would say, you know, how often have you seen the same commercial on TV? Right. Right. You'll, you'll see it. And if it's a good commercial, you'll actually watch it again, right? Without getting annoyed or, um, you know, if it's a good commercial, oftentimes are entertained, right? And that, that's how I think about your marketing materials. Well, if it's really good and it is also entertaining, people will want to consume it again. And like you said, the people who actually open it, read it all the way to the bottom is actually a very small number of people. Right. So if you put some numbers around the situation, uh, let's say you have a, you know, a 10,000 person email list and let's say 20% is your open rate, right? Which is pretty decent. That means like 2000 people read it, right? Or at least opened the email, but out of the 2000 people, how many actually scrolled all the way to the bottom and read it? Um, I would say very, very small number of people. And so if you put that in perspective, it's a, such a small number of people opportunity to kind of like reach more people by reusing the same copy or maybe changing the subject line a little bit, right? To increase the open rate for next time is such an efficiency and opportunity to make things a little bit more better and more efficient. I have found we really like pissed off people or got people annoyed. I think maybe in the last, you know, six, seven years we've done that. I, I can probably say less than 10 people were like, hey, I, I've read this before. And that's a really small number of people. You know, like, considering how many you're going to go to how much work to avoid upsetting 10 people. It's like, yeah, it's a lot exactly. of work. Are you sure that you want to do that? So yeah, I love that. And it's just the idea also, right? Uh, the, the bigger you grow, the more reach you have, the more haters you have, right? And that's kind of a sign that you're doing good things when you have people hating on, on what you do. I wouldn't say this is like the equivalence, but what I would say is don't be afraid to, to try this. And we don't have to create everything new from scratch all the time just to appease that small group of people. Right. Now, if you do it five, six times a year and you use the exact same email call, but now we're, we're kind of getting a little too aggressive, right? Uh, in my opinion, because then people kind of get disengaged. But if you do it once, twice, or even three times at most, uh, you should be perfectly fine. As an extreme example, recently we have a client, uh, they're getting a lot of new leads in every month. And we've run the same basic email promotion three times in a row over the course of two months and made more sales every time. Now, we wouldn't normally do that, but we figured out some stuff each time of like, ah, this is how we could make that campaign better. This is what's working for that audience and changing it and tweaking it or have you. So it's not exactly the same, but it's fundamentally the same product and, and the same concept of the emails. 
Okay. So this is fascinating. So this is things that you're doing, as I understood it, you've got automated email sequences and you've got the same emails going uh, and it's an email going out every month that's promoting one of the, one of the other products that you've got. Something that I've seen recently, and I'm really curious to, to hear if you've ever tried is having a promotion of the next logical product at the end of a course. Have you ever played with that idea? Yeah. So as soon as, assuming I understand what you mean, uh, what yeah. you're saying is as soon as a course ends to start promoting the next course or the no, next no, offer. Actually within the course. So like, let's say it's got 10 modules. Well, module 11 is what's next. What's next could be oh, gotcha. course A, B, C, or D that you could take. And it's actually within the course system itself. Yeah. Uh, it's funny you said that because I actually think that's a natural thing to do. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because the way I think about our clients is it's it's a journey that they're on. Just like we're all on a different path and, and journey and story of, uh, in our case, helping people become more productive. And there's always like different levels to that, right? right. And in a way, it's kind of like self-actualization in many ways or personal personal growth and personal development. And so by the time someone finishes, finishes a course, we always have something there that says like, hey, if you like this course, like what we recommend you do next are these courses. And these are all courses that we've created and are complementary, or they are courses from other people. Uh, and sometimes they're, they are affiliate links, sometimes they're not. But at the end of the day, what we care about most is that people are being helped and served. Because even if we recommend a course that's not ours, uh, if they complement very well and it helps our clients, guess what? They will still remember that we made that recommendation, right? Mm. And so we're trying to go for the long game there and say, hey, if we make that recommendation, that looks good upon us as well. And they'll be back. You know, They might go off a little bit and consume some other material, but they'll always come back and say, hey, like Asian Efficiency or TAN recommended this material. Like, I wonder what else they would recommend, right? And so they'll oftentimes keep reading your emails or keep listening to your podcast and so on. But yeah, in my opinion, that's completely normal to do. And that's something we've always done. Uh, because just like when you finish a book, right? Uh, right now, for example, I'm reading a book on, uh, it's called NBC, Nonviolent Communication, which is a communications book. And when I finished that book, I was like, man, I want to read more stuff related to this, right? And this is where Amazon is so powerful is it always has book recommendations based on what other people have bought, right? Mm. And so I'm like, oh yeah, I should look into those books as well. Now, I actually wish more course creators did the same thing. Like if you, if you have a course on a particular topic, by the time they finish it, what is the other stuff that would help them on their journey as well? And so, for example, if someone finishes a course on how to manage their email, uh, we have tons of other courses, but one of them could be like how to organize your files on your computer, right? That's like a natural extension in a way. It's not directly the same, but if someone is obsessed or interested in learning about how to manage the email, they're probably also interested in organizing their stuff, like their computer, their phone, uh, photos, and so on. So we have courses on that as well. And so uh, what's cool about it is if you run upsells and you see that particular upsells work really well, then it's a natural extension to say, hey, by the end of the course, let's try to pitch those again or offer those again to people. And I think what's really beautiful about this, the way that you think about it is most people that I talk to who aren't doing these, aren't using this approach, they're thinking about themselves and they're thinking, I don't want to seem too salesy. I don't want to seem too promotional. And the way you're talking about it is, 
what's going to be most useful for this person next, which is a completely different perspective on it. It's not about you. You're thinking, how can I best help these people? Maybe it'd be useful for them to take this course next. Or no, maybe it'd be better for them to do this one. I'll, I'll recommend that as a next option. Whereas a lot of people, they see this as, if I mention another one of my courses, well, that's self-promotional and I feel really awkward about it. And in your voice, it doesn't sound like anything like that. You know, you're like, oh, how can I how can I help people more by offering them something else that we've made and we made it because it was helpful? Yes, exactly. I, I think about the journey all the time. And when the journey stops with your course, you start to realize actually the journey is just continuing from there. And so what can I do to offer them to help them continue on their journey, right? And that's where oftentimes a lot of our product ideas come from is they finish one particular course and they go, I want more, like what's next? And then I go, oh, we don't have anything. Maybe we should create something. (laughs) And so this is where like the repeat sales come in because if you have one particular course that does really well, you have an audience or a set of customers that are hungry for more. And so what can you do to then, you know, uh, help them and aid them, right? And this is why I've always been a big fan of just like repeat sales, uh, because if you have a loyal audience and they have, uh, a, you know, a kindness towards you where they like your material and they've gone through it, um, instead of trying to sell to new customers, try to sell to your existing customers because they're already ready to buy. They're easier to sell to often. Um, and they're more willing to spend more money with you as well, Right. So a lot of our energy is focused on that nowadays, but it's just the idea of, okay, if I helped one particular client, what else can I do to serve them? So I'm always looking for ways to just continue to serve people. And then if it's not one of my products, that can either be an idea to do a joint venture partner with someone and say, hey, I have this great course on how to organize your digital stuff, your digital information, but I actually don't have any material on physical organization, like your home office, your home, and so on. So we ended up partnering with another teacher who specializes in that because we don't specialize in that whatsoever, right? So we're we're sending people to that particular coach now all the time. And and every time we we, uh, get someone to sign up, we get a referral uh, fee or a referral commission for that, right? Now, is there a financial benefit to that? Yes, but I, I would have done the same thing if if there wasn't, because I know when that, and we have done that a few times too, where they're like peers in our industry and we would just sent them over there uh, because we know like that customer is going to go off and, and, you know, this is what they're interested in. And if I can point them in the right direction, like I get points or credit for that as well. And it's not financially visible, mm-hmm. but you'll start to see when you offer that, that's when they'll come back and do the repeat sales with you because they're always interested to learn more about, you know, especially if you make a good recommendation uh, for other stuff that you have to recommend, whether it's your personal stuff or, or other people's stuff. And so oftentimes when we do uh, promotions for other people or joint ventures, we do really well. And we're oftentimes on the leaderboards because we have just so much trust among mm-hmm. our clientele, whether that's our stuff or someone else's stuff, right? So uh, now obviously, I have to do a lot of vetting there as well to make sure that I like it and that I've gone through it and, you know, uh, but that's a different part of the story. The other thing that you mentioned that I was, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on is about doing an email promotion a month. So not just about the reusing of it, but how, how many you are sending out. And one, another concern that people have is if they, is that they will send too many email promotions. And I think for a lot of people, the reason why they're concerned about that is because they think in an email promotion, all you do is pitch 
and therefore they feel like that's going to be uncomfortable for them. Could you talk everybody through like, how do you think about the email promotions that you send? Like what kind of content do you include in there? How do you make sure that it's something that's you're going to be comfortable sending out? People are going to be happy receiving. Sure. So I think we'll have to zoom out a little bit and kind of look at our whole like marketing machine. And I think that will kind of answer that question. So if we look at our main marketing channels, it would be the blog and the podcast, right? So those are the two mediums that people consume the most for us. And that's all free content, right? So you don't have to pay for anything. You can discover us by searching stuff on Google or stuff gets shared on social media. And then you read our blog post, or people refer to our podcast every now and then. So there's a lot of free content and there's a, a new podcast that out every single week on the Productivity Show and on the blog of AsianEfficiency.com. We have a new blog post every week as well. And so there's always content in there. And anytime we release a new piece of content, we email it out to our audience as well. So when a new podcast goes out, we send it to people who specifically subscribe to getting podcast updates. So it doesn't go out to the whole email list, uh, only people who specifically want podcast updates, uh, which is oftentimes a much smaller group of people. As far as like the blog goes, we do send a blog post out to every single email subscriber to say, hey, there's a new blog post on this particular topic. Go check this out, right? So there's always free content going out to our audience. And we have a weekly newsletter as well that's kind of like quote unquote infotainment. So it's informational and entertaining, but it usually has like links to our products uh, or to uh, a webinar that we have coming up, whether it's live or automated. And so there's free information in there. It's oftentimes practical and actionable. And even if you don't click on any of the links, you'll walk away with something that says, hey, you know, I learned something new today. Uh, maybe I should go implement this, right? So there's a lot of free content out there. And so, and that has a particular rhythm, like it's always once a week, right? So on a week, given week, someone might get a blog post, they get a newsletter. And if they're a podcast subscribers, well, they get a podcast uh, email update with oftentimes links to the show notes and so on. So in a given week, that's already three emails, right? And you do that every single week. There's, there's content for people to consume all the time. Not everyone will see everything, right? Some people just don't open certain emails and so on, depending on the subject line. Uh, but there's always opportunities for people to consume free content. And you'll start to notice that not... This is something that I see new course creators get obsessed about is they think that anytime they publish something that everyone will see it, but that's just simply not true. Yeah. simply not true. Not everyone will read every single blog post you, you publish, every single podcast you put out there because their time is limited and they can only focus on certain things and certain topics resonate with certain people and with others it doesn't, right? So don't ever assume that whatever you put out there, that everyone has read that. Because that's really important because it affects how you do your marketing. Because you, you want to make sure you repeat certain things in your marketing as well. And so going back to the blog post and the podcast, uh, oftentimes is a way to warm up people about, let's say, a particular course or an offer. We'll oftentimes link to blog posts and podcast episodes we've done in the past uh, and so it's a way for people to get free contents, but also, again, I assume that they haven't read it. And even if they have read it, a lot of times people will read it again because there's always things worth learning more um, and repeating, right? Uh, and something that I've really, that blew my mind a few years ago is uh, I, was at, I was part of a mastermind and someone shared with me how 
a lot of their sales happen on the second or third webinar. And I went, huh? And what he was sharing was a lot of people watch the same automated webinar two or three times before they buy. And that's when a light bulb moment went off for me. And I go, oh, wow, like I need to get people on my live and automated webinars multiple times sometimes mm. before they actually are comfortable buying, right? And that's a live webinar. Like, you know, sometimes it's a month or two months or a few months apart, but uh, it just shows you people sometimes need multiple you know, touch points before they, they feel comfortable buying. So anytime you create content, whether it's a webinar, blog post, podcast, like get people to go even multiple times if needed, uh, because again, it's free contents and free content allows people to get closer to that finished line or that line of purchase, right? Whether it's a first time purchase or second or third or fourth or whatever it may be for you. And so don't be afraid to repeat yourself when it comes to free content that you have, because oftentimes people haven't seen it. And so when it comes to email promotions, when we do it once a month, we lead up with a lot of free content that we've created. And so people can kind of get their head in that particular topic, right? So let's say we have a course on organization, digital organization. We'll send free podcast episodes to people. We'll send them free blog posts that we have. And then we have a lot of emails kind of like agitating the pain point a little bit. So people understand like why this topic is so important to them. Right. And as we get ready for the launch, we warm them up with like two or three emails. Uh, and then we typically have like a Monday through Friday kind of sequence where it's like two emails on Monday, one email, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then two or three emails on Friday. Uh, that's typically how we do things. And so the warming up is relatively simple in terms of free content, right? It's usually like two weeks out to free, free content. And then the, the week uh, leading up to the launch is like, the emails that kind of agitate the pain point, highlight like what's what, what you might be struggling with, just making people realize like this is a real problem that they have, right? And before we actually go into the launch, we will announce that we have a new course coming out on this, right? Because I think people are smart enough to know that something is coming up, right? Right. And so we will always have an opt-out link before the launch actually happens. Mm. And so we will say, hey, we have a new course on Monday coming out on this particular topic. If you already know that this is not for you, click this link and we won't send you any email updates about it, right? And so that saves us a lot of uh, fatigue, but also unsubscribes because some people already know like, hey, this topic is just not that interesting for me. Like I don't need to be bombarded by all these emails, right? Mm. And so if you do enough email volume, I think it's really worthwhile to implement something like this. Uh, so usually for the Monday, Tuesday emails, we have an opt-out link as well. So they, hey, the course is live. It's it's here, right? Uh, if you already know that this is not for you, just click this link and we won't send you any more email updates for the rest of the week, right? You then also know people who are continuing to get those emails are a little bit more interested. Mm. So that's where you can get a little bit more uh, assertive or aggressive in terms of how you promote, whether that's more emails or remarketing campaigns uh, and so on. Man, that's beautiful. I love that. That's a great system altogether. So if I understood you right, you've got You've got free content a couple of weeks out for warming them up. And then you've got stuff talking more about the pain, kind of agitating that, getting them thinking about why this matters. Then you've got the opportunity to opt out. Then you start the actual promotion Monday through Friday, a couple of emails on Monday, one each Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, two or three on Friday. And in the first couple of emails, you've got the opt out option as well. And I'm guessing the last ones, the Friday ones are probably like a going, going, gone campaign. Like it's the last chance to get it. It's going to, cart's going to close, that kind of thing. Cool. And, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's an awesome system. That sounds really well thought through and very kind of rigorous. That's really cool. 
Um, yeah, and I think um, this is maybe a controversial statement, but in my opinion, if you are a decent writer, you know how to write like basic headlines, you know the basics of copywriting, a lot of this you can do yourself. Like you don't have to hire a world-class copywriter to help you with that, especially if it's uh, something you do on the back end for existing customers because they're already like you. You don't have to have the best copy in the world. What you do have to have is a great offer. Right. And so my opinion, like the best thing you can do is to create a great offer and you can get away with like average copywriting. And so for the longest time I wrote my own copy and I'm far, far from being a great copywriter, but I know the basics of like, Hey, we need scarcity. We need urgency, right? The principles of Cialdini and just think about, okay, what elements can I add in there and make it entertaining with the story. And if you can do that, like the great offer will take care of itself. Uh, you don't have to have world-class copy to, to really succeed at this. So I'm hoping that will inspire a lot of people to you know, keep doing and don't let copywriters hold you back from, from launching and, and creating stuff because you don't have to be the best copywriter as long as you make really good offers. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking, okay, well, I'm not, I don't even know the basics of the copywriting, but I do want to do it myself. There are certain kinds of I'm not sure that templates is the right word, but frameworks for these kinds of emails that you can use. So for example, I mentioned there the going, going, gone campaign that you can, I believe, Google that and find like examples of going, going, gone emails. And certainly within our program, we have uh, like templates for it or frameworks of like, you need to hit this point, this point, this point, this point, and you fill it in for each of those parts with your own details. But the overall structure to it is pre-done. You don't have to figure all this stuff out from scratch. So if you're worrying about that and you're thinking, I don't even know how to do those parts, it's okay. This is There are ways of doing this that make this kind of stuff easier. Tan, why? Yeah. To... Oh, go on, sorry. Yeah, can I share like a really simple version yeah. of that? Yeah. So for example, if we do a Monday through Friday campaign, right? So Monday is usually just like announcing the course and highlighting all the benefits, right? And usually it has a fast action uh, bonus associated with that because we want people to buy as soon as possible, right? So usually on Monday, uh, if people buy on Monday, they get an extra bonus that other people wouldn't normally get. So it's a way to encourage people to take action. And so um, the Monday emails will contain a fast action bonus. The Tuesday email will usually contain a story of how this helped someone, right? Uh, the, the Wednesday email is usually a testimonial email so we share like success stories of other people who've gone through the course. Uh, and then Thursday is all about objections, like last minute objections that people might have. So it could be like an FAQ email. That's a really common kind of template, right? Or just like, hey, here's some questions that we've received that you know, might answer your concerns or address your concerns that you might have, right? Because we know if they haven't opted out at that point, they're probably somewhat interested in the course. So at this point, we're just trying to address any objection that might hold them back, right? So whether it's a refund policy or like how much time it takes, or I don't have time for this, like, will this even work for me? Like there's very common templates that you can find or common questions that people have uh, regardless of what, what they buy, right? And then on Friday, kind of like what you said, it's like, hey, last opportunity, we're about to close, right? But that's a really simple template. And we've been using that for so many years. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. If you just apply that, you'll, you'll see that it works. Yeah, nice. I want to change tack a little bit now and talk about mistakes that you've made. And you mentioned a, a couple of these to me. Um, one of the things that you said was about hiring too many people. Could you talk a little bit about that? So one of the 
I think classical mistakes that every entrepreneur makes, whether it's uh, you know creating online courses or you starting a dentist practice or anything else in between, I've seen this happen <laughs> in my own journey, knowing ahead of time that it might happen. I've seen it in other people's businesses. So don't don't be concerned if this happens to you as well. But it's just the idea of, hey, you're selling a lot, you're making a lot of money, and now you want to start hiring people to help you free up more time. And you think the sky is the limits, right? You think, oh my gosh, I just had a great campaign. Like, imagine if I do it again, but I make all these improvements and you know, revenue is going to double or triple. Oh my gosh, like I need, I need all these people right now. I need the best copywriter. I need the best marketer. I need the best agency. I need an executive assistant. I need an operations person now, right? And I used to be in that camp as well. <laughs> so back in the early days when things really grew really fast, I made the mistake of, okay, I need to hire all these people so we can do it bigger and better next time, right? We need a JV partner and affiliate manager. We need a web developer uh, and so on. So you start hiring all these people. And oftentimes what happens is expenses don't grow at the same rate as revenue does. Mm. Or put it in other words, revenue doesn't grow at the same rate as expenses does. And so you might spend you know, an extra 20, 30, $50,000 on payroll, right? Thinking that's okay, by investing in that, that's going to immediately you know, pay dividends and I'm going to make more money. But if you start paying an extra, let's say, $20,000 in payroll, uh, oftentimes it takes like a few months to get people up to speed, right? And then you, know, you have to wait for a while, right? So you, it sucks a lot of cash mm-hmm. from your business as you're hiring these people, which then you cannot reinvest in more marketing or more ads or whatever you need. And so it takes a few months before you get to to the offer. And guess what? Sometimes if you run a new offer or you try it again, it doesn't quite hit the same numbers or sometimes it does even worse, right? And guess what? Now you're stuck because now you have this huge payroll and the numbers didn't line up according to your dreamy projections. And now you are either in the red or you have to now fire people, right? Or you feel even more stressed because maybe you broke even and now you're like, okay, uh, let's try it again, right? And then you, and things just spiral from there. And so- it's a classical mistake I've made, uh, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs have made. And so, once you do make a pretty good change uh, of money or chunk of money, I wouldn't hire people right away. I would slowly maybe add one person at a time. And if you're in the early stages, one of the most important hires you can make is your executive assistant and a customer support person. Mm-hmm. Like those would be the first two hires I would make. Because in the beginning, what you're trying to do is you're trying to clone yourself as much as possible because you're the one who is the genius of the company that knows most things. And so you're just trying to clone yourself as much as possible. Uh, and as you have those two positions filled up and in place, then you want to start offloading to more specialists. Uh, but again, I would just do it one or two people at a time, not hiring a full army, <laughs> thinking that the next time you do something is going to be just as successful, if not better. Awesome. That is super valuable wisdom. I've definitely fallen foul of that myself as well in the past. The other thing that you mentioned to me in terms of mistakes you'd made was not striking when the offer was hot. Can you talk us through that a little bit? Yeah, and this is something that I still deal with every now and then is let's say you create an online course, right? It does really well. It blows away the projections that you might have had or the numbers you thought you would do. And so the easy thing to do is just to say, hey, let's celebrate, right? Let's relax. Let's make uh, like some improvements and maybe we'll do it again in six months or so. But what I have learned is 
and I've seen this in other businesses as well. If you find something that works and it's a good offer or it sells, instead of taking the gas off the pedal, you actually want to put on more oil on the fire because nothing is evergreen anymore in this world. Like even if you have a course on the topic that is evergreen, nothing is evergreen anymore because what happens is if you have a successful launch, oftentimes people will find out about it and guess what? They will create something very similar or a competing course as well. Mm. And so you allow competitors to come in to take up, you know, market share away from you. And this happens in all industries. Like my industry is not that huge, but it still happens in my industry, even though it's a relatively small industry. So I can only imagine if you're in a very competitive industry, like making money online or beauty or supplements or whatever, it's cutthroat, right? If something is working, people will find out immediately and just copy what you do. It happens all the time. And so if you do have something that works, instead of just relaxing, find ways to grow and multiply it as soon as you can, because it's not going to last forever. Like all the people will come in, will copy what you do and take away market share or do a better job of advertising and so on. And so I wish I recognized that earlier because I think it could have drastically changed our company's projection and trajectory if we struck when the iron was hot. Instead, oftentimes I would just celebrate, go on vacation, and then try again later, but then it just wouldn't be quite the same in terms of the reception or other people have moved on already or there's a competing product. And so I encourage everyone that's listening or watching here, if you have something that's working, don't take it easy. Like replicate it, go full speed if you can, because once it stops working, that's where you can take a break and just say, hey, you know what? I did as much as I could. You know, I reaped as much financial success as I could in this time frame. Uh, let's just take a break now and see what uh, moves we want to do next. The thing I think there about that is I, I think there's some some real wisdom in it in terms of the world is hard to understand. Sometimes we think we understand it. You know, you do something and you thought it would work, and then it works really well, and you think, oh, I must be really clever. Or I must have, you know, done something super smart here. And sometimes it's it's factors that you didn't really understand. You couldn't necessarily predict how well that was do would do, because there's the the world is complicated because there's all these different things. There's trends happening. There's different stuff happening in the marketplace. There's things that your competitors are doing. There's things that's happening in the news. All of this stuff. And if you try and understand it all you'll fail. But we always, I don't know, maybe not we always, but I know that I always want to like, I think that I I get it. I'm like, ah, it happened because of this. And therefore I'm going to do that. And this is going to happen. And I cause myself all kinds of problems with that. Like I I understood this and I'm, I'm going to tweak it in that way to make it better for me. Something that I think I'll prefer. And the market's like, I don't care what you prefer. I, this is, (laughs) this is what we want, you know? So I think why did they even then just you know, you've got, a, you've got an offer that works, sell more of that, people love it. But I think there's something in the world, I've been wrestling with this recently, around if anything works, do more of that and don't worry whether you understand it properly or not. Just go, right, that's working, I'm going to do more of it and I eventually I'll probably figure it out. But right now, the crucial thing is do it because it works. Yeah, do it. It works. And I think timing is such an underrated aspect of a lot of success that people have that oftentimes 
people don't even realize that timing is, is a crucial part of it. Right. So a really simple example of that would be like, I've always wanted to create an online course on how to be productive working from home. Cause that's something I've been doing for over a decade. But if I launched it pre COVID, it just wouldn't be quite the same yeah. because the market would be a lot smaller. Uh, I would have to educate a lot more people about it. But as soon as COVID came, guess what happened? That's the first course I created because I knew <laughs> that trend was there, right? Now that's something that I could have, yeah. yeah, like I had that idea, but it was just the timing I was looking for. And we were in quote unquote fortunate in that sense when that happened, that we had something that we could build and, and launch very quickly, right? Uh, but there've been so many other courses we've created that I had no idea why it was successful, but it was, and we just ran with it. Now, I wish I had doubled down even more, you know, in those situations, but like you said, we don't have to understand always why it's working or what's working for whatever reason. If it's working, just, just go with it because I've learned that nothing lasts forever. Nothing truly lasts forever, no matter how evergreen your topic might be, right? Um, things change all the time. Consumer preferences change all the time. There's always something alternative or, com- or something competing with that, uh, that you're not might not be aware of, right? And so that's why like, we still have to create new courses on different topics and so on. Even though I have a course on procrastination, which is kind of like an evergreen topic that will be here for you know the best of dawn. Uh, but I still have to change our marketing every single year because people think about procrastination a little bit different every single year, whether it's like working from home now with COVID and everything to technology. Now we become more technology savvy. So we start to blame on you know, technology, why we're not as productive, why we're, why we're procrastinating or for a while it was all about like, we're becoming more aware about a willpower. So maybe it's the willpower thing that's holding us back, right? Even though we're offering the same course or marketing changes because the environment changes. So nothing is ever really evergreen nowadays. Well, that Tan, that's been amazing. I really appreciate your time today and you sharing uh, these nuggets with everybody. If people want to check out Asian Efficiency, where should they go? You can go to asianefficiency.com. It's all spelled as one word. And you can sign up for our email newsletter there where we share weekly productivity tips. And if you are someone who loves to listen to podcasts, we also have a podcast called The Productivity Show. And you can go check us out there as well. I have listened to your podcast. It's excellent. So I can thoroughly recommend that. Um, oh, thank you. If you found this interview useful, please give us a review wherever you listened and then come join the Advanced Course Creators Group in Facebook and you'll get early access to future interviews and support with growing your online course sales. So Tan, thanks so much today and thanks to everybody listening.